A few weeks ago, we had Adnan Ibrahim from Car Throttle on the podcast. Well, what the guys behind Car Throttle have done for motoring and driving and reaching young male audiences, Ben Ibrell and his other co-founders of the Sorted Group or Sorted Food have done for food. They work with food brands and non-food brands alike across their growing empire. And that empire includes websites, social media channels, but also a huge publishing empire as well. Yes, they make money from real life books. Remember them? Anyway, I had a really good chat with Ben. He speaks about his relationship with his other co-founders. He also mentions a guy called Ray. Ray is a serial investor, a guy called Ray Taylor. And he is Barry, Barry Taylor, one of the other founders, fathers. We have a good chat. We discuss the background to how they started the business. We discuss what they will and what they won't do for brands. And then we kind of got under the bonnet a bit. We asked Ben Ibrell from Sorted Food for his rocket fuel. So, Ben Ebrell, the first thing to say is thank you so much for doing this episode of Rocket Fuel. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. The first section of these interviews are to get to know you a bit better, to find out about your journey. Um, We're obviously going to come to talk about Sorted Food in a big way, and it's been around for 10 years. What led up to Sorted Food? How did you get there? What was, what was, let's start at school. What was your education? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Hertfordshire and uh, went to secondary school there. And that's where we all met. So I say we, it's all all the co-founders of Sorted. So Barry, Jamie, Mike and myself. So we've known each other for 21 years. It's a big, scary number. Um, But it was a pretty, pretty standard secondary school. Loved it to bits. We did our um, GCSEs, A-levels together um, and then went separate ways from there. So for me, it was much more of a, a focus on maths and science. But I also had food technology in there and a love of food sort of from a very young age. And I think that's thanks to my parents. I've always grew up in a foodie family. Have you? So they would always cook? Yeah. And I'm not saying food in terms of trained or professional, but always scratch cooking. Okay. Literally didn't know what ready meal was until I went to university and saw other students around me eating these funny things. So I was just very lucky that I grew up in a very food centric family. And what did you want to do when you grew up? Honestly, I went through a lot of things. Teacher. And right. I, I love the, the idea of teaching and taking information, distilling it down into something that's more um, accessible to everyone and then sharing it. And in a way, we've always had that element on sorted as well through sort of accidental food education. Um, but then I fell in love with food and, and I went to university after A-levels, um, studied culinary arts management at uh, UCB in Birmingham. And from that point, I think I had a dream of one day running a food business, a restaurant, a gastro pub, wouldn't that be cool? And feeding, I don't know, 60, 80, 100 people a day um, off of our menus. And it's just a bit crazy to think that fast forward and we're creating our own menus and food content, except we're feeding quarter of a million people a day on YouTube, which is insane. It is insane. Um, next question. Give us an example of the scope of your role, Ben, because I know you've set it up with a group of founders, but do you have separate domains? What what part do you play in Sorted at the moment? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously made a huge, or taken a huge journey over the last 10 years. When we started, it was Barry and myself sort of full time. Um, but then we brought Jamie and Mike on, who at the time had sort of proper jobs elsewhere. And bit by bit, we've grown the team. So in the early days, we all did a little bit of everything. Right. Um, and I guess as part of that learning and journey, it was a little bit like a uh, a kid's football team, you know, when everyone <laughs> just runs to the ball at every occasion. And we sort of did that sort of juggling act 
Whereas now we take on board more where our strengths lie. And we, like you say, head up different sections and we've built the team around us with phenomenal people who are better at their jobs than we ever could have been trying to do them all. Um, so we're now a team of uh, 16 people. We've got a studio in East London and we've got a production team that Mike heads up. We've got a food team that we've got James, who also trained at UCB and has been with us for six, seven years. He heads up that team with a whole bunch of other development chefs. We've got a social media team. We've got a membership team. We've got account management to look after all the, the brands and the sponsorship and the, the other stuff that we do that turns it into a business. Um, so different teams and we all get the chance to kind of lead and pioneer within those sections. Okay, and let's focus on you. How are you as a manager and how do you like to be managed? It's all boils down to trust. And I think that's something that we've always been very fortunate of because we're a group of friends and somehow in 21 years, we've never fallen out to the point that we couldn't be fixed over a pint at a pub. Um, So for us, it's all about trust, knowing that we're all driving for the same aim, the same goal, which we all sit down and discuss, like what is the plan for for next year and how do we tackle it and then we kind of all just trust and respect each other to crack on on the bits that we're good at um to accommodate other opinions as they come in because it it is difficult because it's kind of a fairly flat hierarchy because we're all kind of in it together um so we don't really have a boss but we also sort of manage people around us but also the people we manage often have better skill sets than we do that's why we brought them onto the team yeah so it's a very open kind of management system um, and a lot of trust and freedom to make sure that as long as everyone's delivering to, yes, it is a business, there are deadlines, there are expectations, but as long as everyone's delivering to that, kind of a freedom to crack on and get it done. And have you ever had a mentor or have you ever mentored anybody? Um, yes. I mean, going back to university days, I think of like mentors in the chefing world and there are chefs that I was taught from that I look up to and I still, if I close my eyes, hear certain sound bites, they tell you that even though I'm not in a food business that's traditional sense now, it still resonates. Um, but we've also had the, uh, the great fortune of working with mentors within our business. So um, Barry's dad um, has been involved in the business since day one. He's chairman of the business. And again, there's this huge family, friendship, trust, respect. But he's obviously worked in many businesses over the years um, and has used his skill set to kind of nurture a number of startups in the last sort of couple of decades um, since he's sort of made his money elsewhere. Mm. And he now does projects that he just believes in, that he loves. And we can take so much from that learning. Um, But at the same time, the world around us has changed. It isn't traditional marketing and branding is slightly different now. So you've got all of his expertise paired with the way we see the world to hopefully end up with something new. I'm interested, actually, just in how you say that. Would you define yourself and indeed the brand and business that you've built as a disruptor? I know it's a much overused word. Or or would you say, actually, it's it's a reincarnation of a traditional media business just doing things slightly differently? Well, lots of twists over the years. And I think each one of those has disrupted to some element. And, And 10 years ago, when we started doing this, we used YouTube because it was a free platform and we could and it was easy for us to do it was second nature for us and we deliberately disrupted the rules in publishing both cookbook publishing and uh traditional tv publishing because we saw that there were huge inefficiencies in it that had worked for decades gone by but right now a 14 month cycle to publish a cookbook wasn't going to work with the way the market is now so we did it our way we did it uh, reinvented it a couple of years ago with the kickstarter Mm. and 
even though the idea that we wanted to do, which we knew our community would love, we had the option to go to publishers, but it would have been a 14, 15 month cycle. Yeah. Instead, we went straight to the community that we harnessed and, and nurtured over these years. And we have that trust with them. And we said, this is kind of a cool thing. How do you feel about it? And it was twice funded in four days on Kickstarter. And we produced it and shipped it within three months. Wow. Okay. That's a disruptor in terms yep. of publishing. But the process we went on was the same as anyone else would. Got you. Interesting. Just again, talking about the team and, and kind of your personal qualities. Is there any commonality between the team members at Sorted? Is, is there one attribute you look for when you're recruiting? Attitude. Absolutely. An attitude to dig in, learn, give it our all. Um, and then occasionally stick our head up above the parapet and see how we've got on and, and then readjust and, and change again. Now, thank goodness, I think if you look at the four co-founders, we're all very, very different people. We had very, very different interests at school. We have very, very different approaches to things. In our own personal lives, we're in different places in our personal lives. And that's really helpful because you get a bit more of a balance. Add on to that the mentorship from Ray as well. And you've kind of got very, very different personalities. But the one common thread is... Uh, we've always called it, and, and this is something that Ray sort of talked about, it was the zigzag approach. And it is literally make a decision and just run at it for a period of time, whether that's a couple of weeks, a couple of months or whatever, and just give it your all. And then stop and just have a look around and just see what's changed in the landscape, whether you've achieved what you wanted, and then adjust it and then run at it again. And you end up with this kind of zigzag approach. People draw a wonderful straight line over the last 10 years from where we were to where we are now and think it's a you know a, what a phenomenal success what people don't see is all the zigzagging to get there um and that was something that sort of ray taught us years ago and that's the attitude that's common with everyone who works for us it's the ability just to go that's the plan we're going to run at it and then we'll reevaluate and, and twist and manipulate it for the next zig or zag ben are you any good at switching off well how do you relax and do you switch mm-hmm. off i do but weirdly enough, and this is the thing people struggle to understand, is I switch off with food. So even though that is the day-to-day, and I'd love to say Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, it's not because we know social media is always on and we have to find time to switch off. But for me, switching off is getting home and cooking dinner. And I might have some music or I might have the TV on in the corner or it might be uh, going out for dinner with friends and family or whatever, or travel. But it's always, for me, centred around food. I travel to destinations based on a great cuisine I want to learn more about. So I don't ever switch off from food ever but i do switch off from the day-to-day deadlines and the, the tasks that we set ourselves within the working place are you aware of and we're going to come in to really get under the bonnet of, of sorted in in the next section but i want to you may struggle with this a little bit i want to ask a question around personal brand okay yeah so obviously you have the sorted brand but you are very much part of that brand yourself silly example to make a point do you ever want to swear about politics on twitter but feel like you can't because it's not part of the brand you're representing have you got a real instagram account that only friends and family see how much aware are you as an individual but also a representative of a wider business and brand yeah good question so i'm speaking personally so Mm. my twitter my instagram accounts there is only one and all my family mum, dad included, are following that, as are everyone who watches Unsorted. So it's it's one and all. Um, so I think I am always conscious, if I'm posting to that, that it is a part of the bigger Sorted story. But the beauty is that Sorted story is something that we create 
and we edit ourselves. So it's not like somebody's coming in and telling us you have to do this this year. We, we do it based on what we believe in. Um, and the beauty is that a combination of James and myself as chefs and um, the other three guys as normals, we're all allowed to have very different opinions on different subjects. And that's what makes the collective. And then as Sorted's point of view, a lot of people use the C word. And by that, I mean, consumers, clients, customers. We try not to do that. Our, our audience are our community. And it's that C word that we love. And therefore, everything we ever do is a conversation. So we're allowed to have opinions, but ultimately we don't want to ever preach and tell you that this is the way to do it. We just want to have a conversation and individually we can all do that on our own personal channels and on the sorted channels, but we don't ever have to necessarily come to a conclusion. We just want to present both sides of the story so that everyone who gets involved in the conversation can make their own informed decision. Final question in this section, Ben, what do you think you're known for? Because I, you've spoken about the different parts you play, but what do you think you... What what are you known for in the office, across social media, in life, in business? I'd like to think it's an element of teaching but in a no-fuss, demystified way, which goes back to I always wanted to be a teacher and I, I love the idea of passing on knowledge and I have an addiction for learning more. If there's something I don't know, um, I will find out. Um, and I love the idea of them being able to distill that down into layman terms and finding really easy ways of other people understanding and remembering key things whether it's yeah basic rules in the kitchen or formulas in the kitchen i just i'm a bit of a geek i do like a formula or a rule that allows you to be creative within that and i'd I'd like to think that i can distill that kind of information down and, and pass it on in a way that makes sense Okay, so part two is where we get under the bonnet of the business or brand that this week's guest uh, represents. Ben is still with me. Ben, I called it sorted food earlier. I noticed you've called it sorted. Why is that? Have I got it wrong? Have you changed the name? Bring it to life for us. Yeah, not wrong at all. Um, It's always been about food and cooking and a conversation around that. And sorted food is where you'll find us on all social platforms. So YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at sorted food or youtube.com forward slash sorted food. That's where you'll find us. Um, Weirdly enough, it started years and years ago as sorted students. Because we were university students at the time and we were doing it for students, by students, and it was a cookbook. Um, And we changed it to sorted food because we didn't like the student word because we realised that as soon as you graduate, you don't want to be associated with students anymore, despite the fact you'll have the same drivers. You still want to do quick, simple, tasty food that's nutritious, that's affordable, that's impressive. It's all the same drivers. But as soon as you use the word student, you don't necessarily want to be associated. So we got rid of students and we we went sorted food. More recently, um, we've begun to realise that we want to extend the friendship that we have as a group of friends and and co-founders into the friendship that we believe we have with this entire community around the world. And we set up the Sorted Club. Now, the Sorted Club was a way of us providing tools to aid everybody in their day-to-day food lives, whether it's simple midweek meals, Monday to Friday, um, in our Sorted Packs, whether it's weekend inspiration, in our sorted cookbooks, which are much more like impressive, bucket list kind of food, but Mm. that's sorted books. And then also, let's be honest, we don't always cook in. It's nice to go and eat out occasionally. So we set up Sorted Eat, which was a way of recommending a handful of the best places that fit the sorted DNA um, in every city. So that when you're there, you don't get a wash with 50, 100 choices on any top list. 
but we can give you the ones that really you can trust to have an amazing night at. So that's sorted eat. And we suddenly realized we had all these different kind of options depending on where you wanted sorted to help you in your life. And that's part of the club, which is a subscription model. We genuinely aim to be your best friend in food. So it's still food for sure. But we kind of talk about sorted more generally than always using sorted food. Okay, Ben, let's get out the weeds. Let's for the benefit of the listener, let's go with what the business is. So I'm going to say it because I, I think I know it. You've got the YouTube channel. Yep. You've got other social media. You've got a central website. You've got the books. You've now got the club. What have I missed out? I mean, that's pretty much the, okay. the crux of it. And it's all having different conversations around food. And 10 years ago, it started with just the social channels. Is that right? Well, it started as a self-published cookbook. Right. Um, okay. And down that. I didn't know. So okay. as students, we created a student cookbook <clears throat> right. um, because I was literally scribbling down recipes on the back of a beer mat and dishing them out to friends. Or I was getting a call while one of my mates was in a supermarket aisle saying, hey, I've literally got £10 in my pocket. How do I feed myself for the next couple of days? So, And I always became that personal chef. And then we realized, can't we scribble this down and, and make something of it? Self-published cookbook. And that was where Ray first got involved because a previous business of his was in printing and he was able to guide us in in how to do that from a self-publishing point of view. We printed a whole ton of them, put them in a shed, literally had a shed load of them and then worked out how we sell them before they get damp at Christmas. Okay. And the social channels were a way of talking about the book. And nominally, we, we try and stay on youth culture, youth marketing for this podcast. How old are your audience and have they grown up with you? Yeah, so they started, they were and always have been peers, basically. So when we were students, they were 18 to 24 was kind of like a, a good bracket and YouTube skewed a bit younger. Ten years on, the audience has kind of moved ten years on. Our core audience now is um, 24 to 34. Um, it skews a bit older. It skews a little bit younger, but 80% sit in that middle bracket, 24 to 34. And we're going to come on to how you... Well, actually, why don't we ask a question? How do you define the business? And the reason why I ask that is because you have all of the trimmings of that awful world, influencer marketing. And I know from conversations we've had outside of it, we've met a couple of times over the years at, at, at various, you know, discussed brand partnerships, things yeah. like that. And I know you don't see yourself in the influencer marketing space or you understand why you are. Because the other thing is, everything that you've done is building a modern media business, whether it's influencer or not. So where do you position it? And is that ever a, is that something you're constantly thinking about? Yeah, I mean, there's a constant re-education, both of how we position ourselves, but also how the market sees influencers and sorted within that kind of world. Yes, by definition, I, I guess we are influencers, but we don't like to think about it like that. We, we, we tend to prefer to consider our audience and our community and the people watching, engaging, they're the influencers because they steer our content. We always let them suggest what we're going to do, shape what we do, lead where we go when we travel. And then when we publish content, they comment in their thousands, in 24 hours. They are the ones who will influence the decision on any destination, brand, partner that we're working with. So all we try and do is content create and host this conversation. And we let the two and a half million people around the world, they're the influencers because they will very quickly form this opinion that will begin to help influence everybody else's decision. So we like to consider, well, I don't know, it's in a nutshell, we're digital publishing. 
Yeah. We host a conversation. And yes, that's video content. Yes, that's cookbooks. Yes, that's apps within the Sorted Club. It has a membership model, but essentially it's all forms of publishing around food. So the membership model is something I wanted to jump on. I was aware you'd launched it. Any business book in the world is telling every media organization that you now can't rely on purely brand partnerships. You have to make a subscription model. Is that you can't help being smart, and I'm not saying this is something you shouldn't have done, but was that in the back of your mind when you were doing this? Was it thinking, where's the twin engine to fly the plane or whatever business cliche you're looking for? Or was it more organic than that, I suppose? I think it came about as a result of realizing that we have built up this community and there's only so much content that we can keep pushing out. But there were lots of other questions and functions that people were asking for and the nature of the way people consume content. And I think the way that we've moved our content on YouTube, it's much more about entertainment and inspiration. Yes, it's accidentally educational. You will learn something every time you watch a video, but it's not there as a teaching functional resource. It's there to entertain and engage. Yet people were still asking day in and day out for recipe ideas, solutions, clever ways of of pairing things to just reduce food waste or be more nutritious. And we were beginning to find that for us, YouTube wasn't the place to put that content because that wasn't what people were interested in watching. They were interested in the slightly longer form content. A lot of people now watching on smart TVs, like we've seen huge growth in that. So people are watching it, bigger screens, more entertainment. So where were we going to put this extra content? And how do you make it viable as a business? You can't just create it and give it away for free because that just doesn't make sense. So we use the subscription model. Those who wanted that functional tool that we've built and have, we hope, huge value to anyone who wants to use it, that's the percentage of people who kind of join the sort of community at the top through entertainment and inspiration. And then if they're looking for real solutions, they can come down and find those in the club. You mentioned in the first section that you're looking to disrupt some models. So bringing out the cookbook in a in a much quicker time than a traditional publishing partnership would have allowed. Have you actually, let me get straight to it. You will have had offers to sell out already, have you? Well, yeah, yes, we have been approached by a number of people and we've always taken those offers seriously. But till now, we've always wanted to keep in control of what it is. It's a business built around friends and family. We want to sort of take control of our destiny and where we take it and let the community steer because we always say that if you follow the majority of what the community are saying, then there's already a community who wants to engage with the content when it gets there and it does better. If you have someone come in from a financial background, investment, they tend to put harder strains in the business to deliver to certain deliverables as is right because of the investment they put in. But that's not necessarily right for a community of people who we like to think of as the same values we've always had around the pub table ourselves. And the business is a success. You've got a team of 16. People have been paid decent salaries. People are, it's nobody's part-time job anymore. This is real grown-up stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, there's obviously, even from day one, there were always food costs. There were always studio costs. But as the team has grown... And especially as we bring on excellent people, like th- there is a, a commitment there. And that is something that the, the, the business requires sort of income. But yeah, it's, it's, it's grown up, even though it's still the same idiots doing the same food stuff every single day. So it's funny you spoke about for those that haven't 
I think Ben may take offence at this next, so we're going to listen live. So <laughs> for those that haven't seen the content on Sorted, across Sorted Food, have a look at it because it's equally as brilliant around the relationships between you all as it is around the content, right? So the, the relationships between the, the on-screen talent, if you like. And, and that I really enjoy. The, the, the chefs versus non-chefs dynamic as much as anything else. We are Sorted, a group of mates from London exploring the newest and best in the world of food whilst trying to have a few laughs along the way. <laughs> we've got chefs, we've got normals, and a whole world of stuff for you to explore, but everything we do starts with you. It's a little car throttle to use. We've got Adnan coming yeah. on the podcast soon. It's it's a bit top gear in that it's boys. Don't worry. I don't all think you're misogynist. That's <laughs> fine. So how much are you playing on your friendships? And then the other question I wanted to chuck into this is you've mentioned the audience is getting older. Is that a concern? And are you going to take steps to recruit the next youthful audience? Is there is there a student offshoot brand? Are you going to recruit the next sorted presenter? Silly ideas like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I, two, two good questions. So um, straight off the bat, do we play off the friendship? Yes. I don't, I don't think it's playing necessarily. It's genuinely us. And the, the filming days, the days where the cameras are rolling are the best days of our week because it's just so much fun to do what we do. And we get to travel together when we work with certain brands, destinations. You're absolutely, I mean, we have been described as the, the top gear of food before or the in-betweeners of food. Yeah. And it it does play to those different personalities. Um but they are genuine. And if you wind back the clock 20 years, that's what we were like at school. <laughs> Barry was in the football team. Mike was in the music sort of group. I was very much science and maths. And Jamie, um, uh, did I not miss out? And Jamie was sort of Amdram. <laughs> um, so that is very much us. Yeah. Do we play off it? I'd say it is the backbone of Sorted. Food happens to be the catalyst for every conversation. But the friendship is the backbone. And that's the bit that we always put first. And we, we really hope that whatever video you watch or if you're part of the club, you should feel like you are the next person around that table. Okay. So that's that's the dream. Now, to your second point, yes, we're getting older. Yes, our audience is growing with us. But we're also in this very interesting, some would say scary time in the world of food. Because I think we're, as a as a nation, as a demographic, as a planet, we are more aware of the food we're consuming than ever before we are trying to find more understanding about it but there's so much information out there who and what do you trust how do you distill it down we're talking about nutrition what the food does in terms of agriculture what it does to the planet to our communities all all of these really big questions and our community now are of the age where they're starting to have kids mm. and families as jamie already has two kids barry has a child so we're all of that age and as our audience grow, I think what we can do is just continue to be this peer-to-peer group that continues to try and reconnect us with our food and where it comes from so that we can all make more informed decisions. So we're not worried about chasing the next generation because I think through food, you can kind of do that through almost parenting by continuing to speak to our own demographic, our own age. What's the gender split of your audience? Just out of interest. Uh, a slight skew towards male yeah, okay. at the moment. 60-40. okay. Which, interestingly enough, has flipped from six, seven years ago, where it was 6% female, 40% male. Um, okay. So we're obviously, you know, that has changed a bit. And, and we are, as you say, we're all um, male 
on screen, obviously. But our team in the studio is also skewed female. Um, and therefore, like our audience, we try and capture a little bit of everything. The Sorted brand, as it's progressed, um, it's an incredible story. I mean, it's Thank it's you. a successful business. That uh, What defines success and what defines the brand? So are you looking, as long as it can pay you a salary, you're happy, you have KPIs because you want to hit the next target, you want to launch a new thing. And then as a brand, what I suppose defines it? What have you said no to? What What's the next revolution? Yeah, I, I think um, success. I, Barry always said something years and years ago, which has, has stuck with us all, which was, wouldn't it be cool if one day we could do something that just changes and has influence on somebody's life around food? And the fact that now, 10 years on, there are people following meal packs, which means they're having less food waste at the end of the week. They're, ha- they're spending less money on food, but they're also being inspired to break out the same six dishes they also always cook. Like that is having an impact and an effect on a whole bunch of people on a daily basis. On YouTube, we might have a conversation around veganism or around single use plastic or the importance of gut biome. And we're not experts, but we just want to open up a conversation. And if it gets other people talking about it and puts it front of mind, then I feel like having some effect, positive effect on food in people's lives, that is success. That's also very fluffy. Mm. So we also absolutely have KPIs to make sure that as a business, we continue to grow, that we can all sustain ourselves, our families, everyone who's on the team and making sure that everyone is well paid. But we've we've never been out to go above and beyond that. And we turned down a lot of brand opportunities, which might have a big check associated with them, because if they're not taking the story on in the right way, if it's just about forcing some marketing messaging down the throats of our community that's not the point how can brands work with us to enable conversations and um, topics that our audience want to talk about that will make us all more informed so we have turned down brand deals to try and stay true to what we want to do which is have a a very unbiased conversation around food Um, and we also take a huge chunk of the profits we make from brand sponsorship and put it into what is a very hungry and thirsty um business which is the tech world yeah. and we've launched three apps this year um, and built them all from scratch because each one of those offers something to our club members and we've put so much time and love and resource and money into that so that it can give people who join the club something of value but you've never run the sorted food festival you've never you've never had your own radio show on talk i mean there must be i bet there's a cornucopia of things that haven't quite hit the spot yeah a physical hub i mean it would be amazing to have the the real life sorted pub somewhere Mm. where we can actually all the recipes that we're testing and creating can be tested on paying customers who are coming through the door who want that experience we could host supper clubs we could do festivals <laughs> we could launch an entire range of cookware which we did many years ago but we could reinvent there's so many things we could do what have you done wrong what have sorted done wrong um what would you do, do differently there's a couple of things in our zigzag that we have sometimes jumped on something because it was opportunistic and it was good fun and ultimately if you're not enjoying it what's the point so we've done things that have been fun but haven't worked out we um, we brewed our own beer many, many years ago because we thought that was a good marketing tool to appeal to students that if we could hook them in with assorted blonde ale, that we could therefore spark up a conversation around food and try and get students to scratch cook rather than use ready meals. And that didn't work because 
we aren't brewers, retailers or distributors. So although we had experts help us with it, it never worked. So we have made, I'm not going to say mistakes, but there's things that have definitely fallen flat on their face. Um, but we've been able to learn from them and work out actually what is more useful, digital products that we can reach our entire audience rather than a physical bottle of beer. Sure. Um, and we always see businesses around us and try and pick holes in why that wouldn't work for our community. HelloFresh, a great example. Boxes of ingredients ready to go, delivered to your door so you can cook up great meals. But that's only good if you're in certain postcodes. How right. can we do something that is possible right across the world with our audience in America, Australia, and Hong Kong and wherever? How international are your audience? With the... Uh, the beauty of YouTube, every country, every really? food culture. So the majority are in the UK or not even the majority? No, the majority, wow. I mean, the majority is English speaking. Yeah. Um, so US, Canada, UK, Australia, um, they make up a big chunk of it. Yeah. But then every other country represented wow. because of the beauty of YouTube. Okay. Um, you may have answered the next question in terms of, I was going to talk about the fact that you've said no to brand deals and I'm not going to ask you to repeat that. Let's let's focus on the positive. What's the best brand partnership that you guys have worked on? We've worked on so many over the years. Um, I would say the bit that is often difficult to explain to people is even though we're a food brand, often the best brands to work with are those outside of food because it leaves the food to remain completely impartial. And what they can do is unlock an opportunity for us to go on an adventure or a challenge of something that we can then put food at the centre of it, but you're not forced to shoehorn food into an episode because you've been asked to. So some of the best ones we've done are with tourism boards where we can go to destinations and unlock food in a particular city or destination and we can find the amazing producers or restaurateurs or how food is cooked in family homes in that destination. But then, therefore, any travel brand, an airline, um, uh, automotive brand, accommodation, tourism, they're all really, really good. I think the one example that stands out as being completely bizarre was, and, and we, we, we won awards for it years ago, was Rennie, the indigestion tablet. Wow. Why on earth would a cooking channel be sponsored by an indigestion tablet? And to be honest with you, they approached us and we kind of laughed it off and didn't think much of it. But they said, hear us out, we've got this idea. And we obviously don't want you to shoehorn an indigestion tablet into the thing, but we we want to run with a, a messaging, a tagline, which was nothing's off the menu. If you've got that in your back pocket, be more adventurous and nothing's off the menu. And we did an incredible series about mystery ingredients, ingredients that we are so unfamiliar with, from the horned melon to durian fruit to sweetbreads. Ingredients we wouldn't necessarily use on the channel normally because they're not everyday cooking for the majority of our audience, but then challenged us with our audience to create something with it. And that was good because it wasn't a food brand, but they gave us a tagline or a message or a challenge that enabled us to put food into it. Yeah. But the challenge pre-existed. That's great. Um, final question in this section, if that's all right with you. I just want to jump back into, come back into the weeds with me, Ben. I want to ask two yep. questions. One is around the revenue split. So so how does it work? What makes the money? Because you've got your own account managers that are representing the brand and talking to agencies and brands. You've got the the cookbooks. One's around the revenue split. And then the second one in the in the weeds is... 
you mentioned that you've never been able, that, that every single kind of confrontation you've been able to solve over a pint in a pub. But what have you fallen out about? What have been the things that have driven the business in ways where you didn't expect it to go? Or, or where, yeah, where have you said no? Yeah. Um, so the first question, revenue split, I think a huge chunk of it is still from working with brands and sponsors. Um, absolutely, they are so much better when they are a long-term partnership across a year or in cases we've had partnerships that have been two, four years. We've worked with Kenwood for eight years now. Um, and it's such a great, strong relationship because it becomes integral to the sorted narrative. Kenwood are pretty much the next sorted crew member in the kitchen. They've been there for eight years, very passively in the kitchen. We do active placement and recipes that use the machines for them as well. So there's a real mixture. That is the bedrock. But we all know that there's YouTube advertising as well. Um, there are uh, the books that we provide that can be within or outside of the membership model. So you can buy the cookbooks separately, albeit they're much more um, affordable as part of the membership. So there's the subscription model, there's cookbooks, um, there's kind of appearance and speaking and, and demo fees at sure. food festivals or um, speaking at industry events and things like that. So there's, there's lots of little pockets, um, but the chunk of it comes down from working with Brands who are forward thinking enough to do more than just a one off video because they've got a campaign that they want to push in a few months time. Um, but actually, how can we do something that's of value to everyone and builds a story that stretches beyond just a one off spike on a tail and, and then living for everyone? And a brand's getting better to work with. They, they now don't roll their eyes and say silly YouTube channel. They sort of understand the power of the brand and the community that you've created. Yeah. And it's still something I think the whole industry is is challenged with is re-educating that but I think and the beauty of Sorted and the team we have and this is a bit that's sometimes difficult to explain to a brand but we generally work better when we have that direct relationship with the people in the brand who understand their brand and we understand our community and how to create content is that we're a creative agency we're a production agency we've got the and I hate the word but the on-screen talent far from talent but we've got that friendship that we present on screen uh, we've got the post-production we've got the social media agency we've got the media buying agency if you want that as well because we can do that we we do the whole thing end to end and then the community management we can go on the pr sort of train if it's a big campaign we've done some amazing um pr kind of exercises with uh, a brand around a large body of work and whereas a brand looks at you and says hey you're a youtube channel and an influencer they sometimes forget that they're also paying four other agencies to do those four other avenues, whereas we will do it all for collectively a fraction of the price, albeit the initial number sometimes people are shocked at. That's quite a lot for a video. When you explain, you know, you're going to get a quarter of a million organic reach in 24 hours. And when I say reach, it's actually 10 minutes of watch time. Mm. It's not a few passing seconds. It's 10 minutes of watch time of an audience who want to engage with it and are celebrating the fact that you've empowered it. It's completely different to a media buy. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And as a as somebody in the content space, I can absolutely understand but the it, opportunity. But you also for understand it's a challenge to try and explain oh, that end to end and 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 kind of explain the value of that and the fact that they're not just buying a one off video, they're buying ten years of nurturing a community that they can now have access to, providing they don't just want to sell to their audience, but they want to empower content that informs, inspires and educates. Let's go back to the pub. You're having a pint with the other founders. What, what, where have diff, the different founders been trying to drag the business? What, what's been the cause of those pints? Um, 
So I think we, and as I said, we come from different sort of backgrounds and I, I am very much more science and maths and there is a logic and things tend to fit into boxes and they're nicer when they stick to a schedule. Whereas Barry, for example, is a huge creative and phenomenal and will just set hairs running. And he's the first to admit that he sets them running and then doesn't necessarily work out how we stop them and recatch them. But without that, you don't get to do all the amazing things we've done. He seems to find this way of just testing and trialing and running at stuff that the rest of us would probably have put too much thought into and put up too many barriers. He'll just give it a go. And sometimes the rest of us go, what on earth is he doing now? But a few months down the line, you go, oh, I see. I see what he's unlocked there. Now let's put a structure around it to make it work. So I think those, any of those initial jars is, what are you doing now? We've just finally got the last thing you set off in in sort of some sort of shape and you've, you've lit another fire over there. But without it, we absolutely would not be where we are today. And if you look at um, some very good friends of ours, sort of YouTube creators from 10 years ago, many of them have really struggled to maintain the audience community they have let alone continue to allow it to grow as we have and that is only testament to the fact that occasionally we jar but some of us in the team set hairs running and open opportunities and the rest of us kind of find ways of locking it down and giving it shape so that we can move on and that's where some of the frictions come but without it sorted wouldn't exist i did say that would be the last question in this section but what one thing just kind of having a awful word helicopter view but i do use it on occasion of your business is just what a well-run business is just little insights you've given see the fact that you have filming days so you don't just turn the camera on when there's a half-assed idea the fact that you have the different revenue streams and that you're not afraid of using business language the one thing that I've always been amazed, no, not amazed at, that that's almost sets you apart from being another YouTuber is the fact that you've never had management. You've built a business. You've not built a channel. Where does this – and the, just then you were talking about putting structures around an idea. Not many people would bother with that. Um, do you think that's fair? Do you think that's what's differentiated you from creating a modern media business to creating a YouTube channel? Yeah. And I think one of the challenges we've had as well in the last couple of years is there is so much maturity around and logic and structure and strategy around what we do. It's – to be honest, it's why we continue to to grow and do the great things that we do and can continue to give the community value, whether it's free content they're watching on YouTube or – the stuff they're paying for but on screen we're still just mates messing around and we've sometimes wondered how to tread that line because the outside world looking in they might just go it's four or five mates messing around on screen do we want them to know that there's an amazing team behind us and that we have this sort of strategy as well or do we want it just to look frictionless is that a positive or does that take away from what we do on screen and we've always battled with that but it's also been very evident because, back to one of your first questions, we use our own social channels for everything. So one day it will be us messing around on YouTube. The next it will be uh, our personal family, Christmas, something or other. And then another day it will be on a big stage giving a keynote about the power of influencer marketing. But it all goes on the same channel to everyone. So it's super transparent. And I think that's the only thing we can stick to is as long as we're transparent, then I think that business structure which is necessary, can actually help what comes across the screen as being just spare of the moment. It's not. It's, there's a lot of thought that goes into making it look spontaneous. 
So I'm still here with Ben and Brow from Sorted, something that I mistakenly called Sorted not Food. Not at all, not a mistake at all. <laughs> um, last section of the interview is around your rocket fuel. And this is where our audience, people interested in youth culture, youth marketing, people that have affected change in younger people can get some insights, some actionable ideas that they can implement in their daily lives. So the first question, what do you know about young audiences? We know that um, social media is becoming ever more addictive, so much so that the platforms are originally designed to hold our attention, having to put measures in place to, to limit that at times. We know that I think as a and whatever word we want to use, digital native generation, they are um, incredibly, we are incredibly cynical of professionals and experts, often because there's a lack of trust there. So uh, scientists who might well have released a several hundred page black and white report from the World Economic Forum or wherever, there's almost like it's, it's too much. We don't understand it. We don't trust scientists. We don't trust politicians. We don't trust um internet cookies and data anymore because we're just born and live in this world where we'd much prefer to break it back down and trust friends and family and peers and people um, on our level. So what we do know is that they're addicted to social media. They're more aware of the food they're eating than ever before, but they don't necessarily trust the experts anymore, which is a bit backwards because they're the ones who have devoted their lives to understanding the topic in their field. What we we live in an age, particularly as a marketeer, in an age where we we're dominated by what's the purpose, what's yeah. the brand purpose. I know you work with many brands. I know you've built a very successful brand in sorted. What do you think is important to young audiences? What do you get out of bed for in the morning? And it's knowing that yes, you're doing something that is going to sustain a business and pay people. But what what difference is it making? And I think if a brand can put that upfront, then I think that is kind of where you have longevity and you don't, um, you won't necessarily go viral overnight, but you'll also maintain the community, the audience, the customers, clients, whatever it is that your business revolves around. If you take them on that journey and nurture it, then it makes more sense, but only if you're making a difference and you stand for making a difference. I think the brands that are doing really well are those that put, um, well, you say corporate social responsibility, it sounds so formal and yeah. so <laughs> strategized. But if you put that genuinely at the heart of what you do, then I think it makes sense. And last few questions on this around youth audiences. What do you think has changed and what will change next in the way that young audiences behave? Well, we, we see new social platforms cropping up. And I say new, I'm going to say Snapchat as a new platform. It's not new at all. It's been around for ages, but people are digesting content in a different way. TikTok the same. And I think as a digital publishing brand, we've had to look at those platforms and realize there's a huge audience on them. Do we chase that? Can our brand provide value on that? Or actually, is that just not the place where the kind of content we want to do and the kind of messaging and the kind of value can sit. Are so, you on TikTok? Forgive me interrupting. No. Are you no, on we, we, No, we looked at it and we sort of went, we're not sure what we can offer on that platform. Our strength is 15-minute videos on YouTube that have a narrative, that have jeopardy, that have entertainment and inspiration, that have an arc and a story. And for us and brands that we work with, trust us to tell that narrative and get that message across 
in that amount of time. What we're not going to do is shoehorn a message into 10 seconds or very short snaps, um, snapshots of, of content because it just doesn't work for us. And going back to the purpose, if our purpose is to begin to change habits around food and make people more informed, we don't think we can do those on those platforms, despite the fact that we are aware that there's huge audiences over there and they tend to be of a younger demographic but kind of sticking to what what we are and where we have strengths when engaging with young audiences which brands get it right and which brands get it wrong i won't ask you to name names but is there a type is there is there a commonality um we always use a lot of analogy of um the pub table where sorted food started and where we first met at school but if you think back and and I often think back to some of the best teachers at school were not the ones reading from a textbook and just asking you to scribble it down copy paste repeat learn it was the people who the teachers who asked as many questions as they gave answers and allowed you to kind of like make up your own decisions and form your own journeys and I think the brands that are connecting with an audience are the ones that aren't patronising they aren't preaching they're not forcing information across to this younger demographic but they're actually empowering them to learn and work it out for themselves I don't know in 10 years I don't count how many recipes we've written and again, it's a bit of a cliche, but I, I would say the best recipe which you hold to heart is that of humble pie and realizing we are not the experts. We never will be. Our audience and our community will always know collectively more than we ever could. So why don't we ask as many questions as we give answers to? I think the brands that are doing well at the moment are those that can empower the audience and the community to find the answers for themselves. I was going to ask, and I normally ask one takeaway for everyone listening, but you've ended it in such a wonderful way. Have you, <laughs> have you got? A, do you want to give one additional takeaway? I think that takeaway of listening to the community and the brands that are getting it right are those that are listening is 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 probably the best place we can end it. Yeah, so, no, that works for me. Nice, keep ben, friendship at the core of it. Nice, Ben. When can people find out more about you? About sorted? Uh, when can they? Where can they get in touch? And then, then, do you want to hear from people? Do you want to hear from a thousand brands how does where can people find you yeah so if you're looking for the content at sorted food on every uh, social media platform that we're on uh, you'll get an understanding of what the club's all about if you go to sorted.club um, but if you want to get in touch with us um, at a more sort of uh, business kind of level then hello at sortedfood.com um, we'll provide that for you brilliant ben abrell from sorted food thank you so much for doing this edition of rocket fuel no it's been awesome thank you Thank you very much for listening to the full interview of this week's Rocket Fuel. I really enjoyed that chat. Um, There are many more that we've had, many more still to come. If you've got great ideas for guests or you just wish we'd ask different questions, then get in touch. We're really keen to take on board your feedback. In the meantime, give us a five-star review. Do share this podcast with someone who you think would really like it. And tune in next week. Thank you for listening. This is a Rocket Audio production.